Any guesses? Did you just happen to see any guesses pass by you there as far as the most popular Bible verse? We did. John 3.16. That's a good guess, John 3.16. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, and Psalm 23. Wow, so those are some great guesses. And so, again, some of you you did get it, and obviously it leads us into what we're talking about today, but Philippians uh, 4, verse 6, was the most popular Bible verse on version in 2019. Uh, Again, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now, interestingly, the article that announced this most popular verse was written in December of 2019. And in in that article, there was a sentence that said, given the state of world affairs, it's not a huge surprise that the most popular verse was about overcoming worry. Given the state of world affairs in 2019, sorry, 2019, 2020 has a beat, and we're only four months into the year. Oh, my gosh. So I think... So I think, 20, I think Philippians 4, verse 6 has a great chance of being the most read verse of 2020 as well. Uh, because of the giving state of world affairs, I know that Paul's opening words, which we sang together and read together, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. You might read those and you might go, seriously, Paul? I mean, seriously, Paul, have you watched the news? Have you checked out my social media feed? Have you read the headlines? Have you looked in my bank account? Have you checked out my pantry? Have you heard my children? Have you been to my business or seen my lack of business? Have you observed my marriage? Have you seen my life? Rejoice? Yes. Paul says rejoice. And in case you missed it the first time, Paul says rejoice. And again I say rejoice. You know, the letter to the Philippians has actually been called a letter of joy. Because Paul repeatedly commands you and me to joy. And the words joy and rejoice are used 16 times in 104 verses in this letter. And the command, the imperative form of the verb, rejoice, is used multiple times, including here. Philippians, um, in many places in Philippians. Now, Paul doesn't just give us a suggestion here or a pep talk like, hey, guys, rejoice, cheer up. He actually gives us a command. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He uses the imperative form. He says, rejoice, it's a command. But how can you do that? I mean, how do you command joy? I mean, maybe Paul's just, you know, he's kind of Pollyanna, he's kind of naive. Maybe he doesn't understand conflict or anxiety. Well, Paul understands. I mean, you might remember that Paul wrote this letter from a Roman prison. He wrote this letter to a church facing persecution from outside. He wrote this letter to a church that, as we saw last week, was facing painful division and conflict inside. So Paul knew anxiety. The Philippians knew conflict. And Paul writes, rejoice anyway. Rejoice anyway. Now, it might help us to understand that what Paul is commanding is not happiness. Now, be happy. No one can command happiness. Happiness is something that's dependent upon circumstances. Happiness is a reaction, but joy is an action. It's a choice. Joy is independent of any circumstance that you and I might face. Joy is a chosen contentment, a trust, and a rest in God alone, in His sovereign and His faithful, His sovereignty, His faithfulness, and His love. And Paul says to us in today's passage, rejoice, you restless people. Because you see, conflict and anxiety, what do they do? They always steal our rest, don't they? 
I mean, last week we saw Yodia and Syntyche in a conflict. In a conflict that was so big that it was drawing the whole church into the conflict. A conflict that was so big that Paul, 800 miles away in a Roman prison, had heard about it. A conflict that was so threatening division that Paul felt like he needed to call out these women in the midst of this letter that he was writing. Because conflict was stealing their rest. It was stealing their peace. And while we don't know exactly what their conflict was over, we find Paul here in the section immediately following, uh, giving us a plea, following this plea for reconciliation, and he's discussing what? Anxiety. Because anxiety leads us into conflict. Anxiety leads us into conflict. When we're afraid, what do we do? We lash out at anyone who threatens what we think we need. You're acting cavalierly. You're threatening my and my family's health by not taking this virus seriously enough. You're not wearing a mask. You're not socially distancing. You're not staying at home. And I am anxious and I, and that fear brings me into conflict with you. Or you're acting cowardly. You're threatening my livelihood, my home, my future, my freedom to worship by not allowing businesses to reopen, people to return to work, churches to hold large, large gatherings. And I'm anxious and that fear brings me into conflict with you. Your political candidate holds dangerous positions or is of questionable character, threatening the advancement of my moral or political agenda or the existence of my freedoms. And I'm anxious. And that fear brings me into conflict with you. Because you see, we cling desperately. We cling desperately to the things and the ideas and the persons and the routines that make us feel safe and secure when we're anxious. And our anxiety brings us into conflict with whatever or whomever threatens those things that promise security. And church, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling it. You know, after some events and some conversations this last week, I said to Leah, you know, everyone's just on edge. Everybody's on edge. We're anxious. And anxiety causes conflict. You know, especially since this week when Governor Mills presented a plan to reopen Maine, that has businesses open, opening far more slowly than many believe is necessary, thus threatening people's livelihoods. Others are pushing back and saying, you people who want to reopen quickly, you're threatening people's lives. There's anxiety over lives, anxiety over livelihoods. There's anxiety over civil liberties being threatened or freedoms lost. There's anxiety over how or how quickly churches are going to regather in large groups, in large groups to worship. There's anxiety over normalcy being restored. And what happens with our anxiety? It brings us into conflict with persons and with ideas that threaten what we think we need to be secure. And friends, the first thing to go when you and I are anxious, the first thing that's lost is our gentleness. Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, if you're using the ESV translation, you'll notice a note beside the word reasonableness that says, or gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And this Greek word, every other time it's translated in the ESV, is actually translated as gentleness, and I think it's best translated as gentleness right here. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Because the first casualty when we are anxious is our gentleness. Anxious people are not gentle people. You know that. I mean, again, when you're anxious about something, do you extend extra grace? 
When you're anxious about something, are, are you quick to give somebody the benefit of the doubt? When you're anxious, uh, do you turn the other cheek naturally? Especially if that person has ideas that are different from yours that somehow threaten you and what you think you need to be secure. The first casualty when we're anxious, church, is our gentleness. And we're experiencing that more and more as this shelter-at-home thing drags on. The novelty is gone. The anxiety about the future is mounting. The anxiety for normalcy and certainty in action is increasing. We're being less and less gentle with one another, and especially with those people with whom we disagree. I see it in the news commentary. I witness it in social media exchanges. I read it in emails. I hear it in conversations. And friends, I recognize it in the tone of my own voice and the sharpness of my own replies. Proverbs 15.1 counsels, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And our gentleness is the first casualty of our anxiety. Our words quickly become harsh. Our anger is stirred and conflict increases. And we are anxious. We're restless. It brings us into conflict. And into the midst of this anxiety, the midst of our conflict, in the midst of our restlessness, we hear Paul command, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, you restless ones. Find peace. Find rest. Enjoy, as we said, the choice. So how do we rejoice? How do we rejoice when we are anxious, when we are conflicted, when we are restless? How do we choose joy? Well, again, as the most popular verse of 2019 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Do not be anxious. This verb is also an imperative form. It's a command. Don't be anxious. So it seems kind of funny. Paul says here the solution to anxiety is, hey, don't be anxious. Now, Paul is not quoting Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. He's not channeling Pumbaa and Timon from The Lion King. Hakuna Matata means no worries for the rest of our days. However, Paul is echoing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you, I have Timon and Pumbaa over here dancing and singing Hakuna Matata now. I'm sorry I said that. Paul is echoing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you might remember that, you know, when he gave us that talk in regards to our worries, you know, the talk, you know, he gave us the birds and the bees talk. You know, in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34, he said, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, three times in the passage, Jesus warns, don't worry. Don't worry about food, about drink, about clothing. And using a least to greatest argument, Jesus says, consider the birds and the bees. It's the birds and the bees talk. Look at the birds. Although they're insignificant, aren't they well fed by God? Hear the bees as they're buzzing in the flowers and the lilies of the field. And although those flowers are only temporary in passing, doesn't God clothe them beautifully? And if God provides for the birds and for the bees, are you not more valuable? Will He not provide for you too? Now, the birds work for their food, but they don't worry about their food. And so it should be for you. Jesus doesn't say here, hey, worry is for the birds. He says, no, 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 worry is not for the birds and neither should it be for you. In fact, Jesus asks, what good has worrying done you so far? Verses 25 through 26, he says, So by worrying, have you managed to add even one span, even one moment to your life? Leaf, it causes conflict in our relationships. In fact, the word translated anxious in these verses literally means to be on. They're things we fiddle with. We work them and we rework them in our hearts and our heads. They distract us and they occupy us. We can't do anything about them, but we also just can't stop fiddling with them. We just can't stop chewing on them. And these anxieties, what do they do? Do they ever bring us life? No, they just strangle us. They steal our rest. They destroy our gentleness. And they put us into conflict with others. So instead, Paul counsels, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul commands here in Philippians 3.1 and Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord. Not just rejoice, but notice he says, rejoice in Jesus. And church, that's the secret. You see, freedom from anxiety, true joy is found in relationship to Christ. Paul, who's echoing Jesus, he's not advocating that we become wholly unconcerned, but neither does he wish us to become overly concerned and worried, letting these things strangle us. So yes, be rightly concerned, he says, but rejoice in Jesus. So yes, be rightly concerned and wash your hands, but trust in Jesus to protect. Yes, be rightly concerned and visit the doctor, but trust Jesus to heal. Yes, be rightly concerned and like the farmer, plant and tend the seed, but trust Jesus to provide. We're guided into right concern and into rejoicing with Christ. Rejoice, you restless, he says. You see, the bridge between our anxiety and peace is prayer. The bridge between anxiety and peace is prayer. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. He says, don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 begins with anxiety. Verse 7 ends with peace. And the bridge between them is prayer. It's that simple. As we sang, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Did you know Paul uses some pretty absolute words here? He says, be anxious about nothing. Prayer for everything. Prayer says it can all be offloaded. It can all be carried in prayer. The bridge between anxiety and peace, the way that us restless, anxious, conflicted ones might begin rejoicing is prayer. It's that simple. But church, do not confuse simple with easy. Don't confuse simple with easy. Because simple doesn't mean it's easy to do. What we need, and what we always need, is the gospel. Pastor Scotty Smith, who's pastor of Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, wrote a book of prayers. 
And one of those prayers rose out of this very passage that we're talking about today. He titled it, A Prayer for Not Being Anxious When We Are Anxious. I don't know about you, I like that title. A Prayer for Not Being Anxious When We Are Anxious. And Smith begins his prayer by leading us to remember the Gospel. Listen to how he opens his prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we know you never command anything without resourcing our obedience through the riches of the Gospel. For you don't delight in our frustration or find pleasure in our shame, or intend our despair. So the command not to be anxious about anything comes to our anxious hearts, not as an indictment, but as an invitation. By your grace, help us cast our cares, bring our burdens, flee our anxieties. I like that. It's a command, the command not to be anxious is not an indictment. It's an invitation. So here again, this command that Paul gives us, not to be anxious, the command for us restless to rejoice in the Lord is not an indictment of our failure, but an invitation into Christ. God has not commanded anything without giving us the power to obey. And that power is not found in yourself. It's not found in pulling up your bootstraps. It's not found in trying harder. That power is found in Jesus Christ. There's a key phrase that was right in the middle of this passage, and it's in verse 5. It says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, the Lord is at hand might indicate temporally that He is near. Jesus is going to return soon. But I think even more importantly, it indicates the Lord is at hand. He is near. He's near when we pray. He's near when we need His help. He's near with power. He's near to release our anxieties. He's near to resolve our conflicts. He's near to restore our gentleness. He is near to lead us into rest. So rejoice. Friends, the gospel, the good news, is that what we cannot do, Christ does for us. Christ does in us. Christ does through us. Who we are in Christ by grace. We are united with Him by faith. United into His death and His resurrection and His new life. He is at hand. He is near. And now He gives us the strength to release our anxieties, to resolve our conflicts, to restore our gentleness, to lead us to rest, and church to lead us to rejoice in the Lord. And so what are you carrying today? What anxieties are you carrying today? What are those anxieties that are strangling you right now? What are the cares, the burdens that are on your shoulders? The worries that you've been working? The conflicts into which you've been drawn? How has your gentleness with others this week, this month, been eroded? What right now is robbing your rest with God and with others? You see, this passage is an indictment about how we have failed to... It is not an indictment about how we failed to trust. It's an invitation to trust. It's not an indictment of how we failed to trust. Church, hear an invitation to trust. Hear the invitation to you and to me, to the restless, that we might rejoice again, that we might lay down our burdens in prayer, entrusting them to Jesus who is near us, and we might rejoice in the Lord because He is greater than our worries. He is more faithful and enduring than any of our problems. He will provide. He will deliver. He will answer, just maybe not the way or in the time that I want Him to. And so the question is, will I trust Him? Will I remain satisfied in Him? and what comes from His hand. 
So friends, what's stealing your rest today? What anxiety do you need to lay down in prayer? What conflict do you need to confess? What gentleness do you need to have restored? And we're going to go to prayer. And I'm going to invite you to a time of silent prayer to lay those things at His feet because that's what this invites us to. This Scripture invites us to the feet of Jesus Christ to rest in Him and to lay our burdens upon Him. And so I'm going to open us in prayer and then invite you to silently pray or if you'd like to pray with your spouse or your family right there to go ahead and pray. And then I'll close us. But I'm going to open with the words that we read just a little while ago. The words of this prayer from Scotty Smith that lead us into the Gospel. And then I'm going to invite you by the power of that Gospel to go before Christ and to lay your burdens down. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know You never command anything without resourcing our obedience through the riches of the Gospel. We believe that You do not delight in our frustration. We know that You do not find pleasure in our shame or intend our despair. So the command not to be anxious about anything comes to our anxious hearts not as an indictment, but as an invitation. So by Your grace, help us right now to cast our cares, to bring our burdens, to flee our anxieties. Silently lay them before the Lord now.